Well, church, we start a new series this week in the book of Colossians. And some of you have asked me in the past, why is it that we go through books of the Bible verse by verse? And I thought that we could just take a moment and explain that, right? Why not just pick out a topic and pull some scriptures and preach on that topic? We've done that in the past. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that, but we preach the majority of our sermons from a single book, and we go verse by verse for three reasons. And I want you to understand, okay? The first reason is really simple. Number one, it forces me to confront things in Scripture and talk about them that I wouldn't normally pick out of the Bible. It forces me to talk about things that are uncomfortable, As you go verse by verse, there are going to be certain weeks that aren't exactly great church growth strategy, sort of high attendance Sunday talks, right? I mean, if you've ever read your Bible, you'll know that's true. Number two, it forces you guys as the listeners to really confront and deal with some of these very same things. We don't get to skip over the difficult parts of Scripture. Scripture is a mirror We're forced to look at ourselves in the light of who God is and who God says that we are and what it is that God wants to do in our life. And so when we go verse by verse, you don't get to skip any of it. You got to look at it. And then the third thing, and this is the one that I really love, is that it presents a full picture of who God is, the totality of his character. So many churches love to focus on one aspect of who God is to the detriment of the other aspects of who God is. There are many names for God. And when we go verse by verse, we don't get to just become a church that only talks about heaven and never talks about hell, that only talks about love and never talks about holiness. Amen? And so this is why we go verse by verse through scripture. Now, For the past few years, really from 2020 through 2022, we went through the Gospel of John. Two years. In December of last year, we took a month to sort of just celebrate, to testify to the goodness of who God is in our own life. We had some amazing testimonies from our very own people here of what God has done and continues to do in our series, Testify. That was an awesome series, wasn't it? In January of this year, we really sort of dug around the roots a little bit of who we are as a church in the series to seek and save. What is our mission as a church? How do we view our role in the community? If you're new in the church, and I want you to know something, okay? There's a lot of you who are new in the church. Tons. I don't want you to feel like an outsider. There are so many new people here that could really benefit from going back and just listening to the sermon series in January. It'll give you a head start. You'll understand why we do the things we do if you go back and listen to that series. And then for the last few months, we've been really in just this one chapter of Hebrews, although we cheat, right? We jump back to the Old Testament. As we looked at faith, this multifaceted jewel. And as we held that up to the light and we examined the different parts and pieces and angles to it, man, I was blessed by that series called By Faith. But today we jump back into a book. But I didn't want to go for another two years just yet. All right. I'm not quite ready for it. 
So we are going to, I think, go through a book that's appropriate for us as a church right now in the culture and the world in which we live. And it's Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And so for the next several months, we'll be in Colossians. It's going to be a series in three parts, not three weeks, but three parts. And the first part of this series is called Jesus Is. Now, to understand the book of Colossians, we've got to build a little bit of a base. And we won't do this every single week, but here's the truth, all right? Every single text that you read has a context. I want you to say context. It's why you can't just pull your favorite scripture out of the Bible and tattoo it on your arm. You should read before and after to make sure that you understand every Every Bible verse is inside a, a, a bigger chapter. Every chapter is in a book. Every book or letter that was written in Scripture takes place in a cultural history and in a historical context. And, and to understand Colossians, we've got to do a little bit of that digging. But if we lay the foundation correctly now, then I think that it will help us to understand why Paul is writing the things that he's writing and how it applies to us in the future. So to understand the book of Colossians, you need to understand the Roman Empire. If you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to do that. We're a church that worships in spirit and in truth. Man, I love to raise my hands in worship. Sometimes as the spirit moves, I'm brought to tears. I, I, I'm so in awe of who God is. I worship him with my heart and with my emotions, but I also dig into God's word. I want to know the truth. I don't want to just know how I feel about something. I want to know truth. And so if you don't have your notes, I want to challenge you with something. I want you to try to take some notes today. If you don't have a pen and paper, pull out your phone because we're going to get to work. Are you guys ready? All right. The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is incredible. For somebody that loves history, like myself, I love history. Anyone else love history out here? All right. You know what they call us, don't you? Nerds. That's right. We love, somebody said historian. That's the nice way of saying we're nerds. For those of us who love history, there has never been anything like Rome before or after. The Roman Empire dominated the world for 1,500 years. Not 15 years, not 150, 1,500 years the Roman Empire dominated the world. And its impact is still being felt today. It really is. Just for context, the United States is less than 250 years old. The Roman Empire lasted for 1,500 years. And at its height, the empire spanned all the way from India to England. It's wild to think about. Now, today, to understand a little bit more about Rome and the context and the place in which the church of Colossians was growing, I want you to think about three things. We're going to talk about first Roman roads. Next, we're going to talk about Roman peace. And lastly, we're going to talk about Roman law. All right, so Roman roads. It's hard to overstate the importance of Roman roads. It really is. The only way that I can really compare Roman roads is for those of us who were born before the internet and remember life before the internet and now life after the internet. 
That's the type of revolution that Roman roads caused in the world. The Roman engineers built roads faster that lasted longer than anything that we've ever seen before. And in fact, if you travel around Europe, there are still roads built by the Romans in use today. There are bridges that were built by the Romans that are still in use today. Is that wild or what? Thousands of years later, these, these roads and bridges are still being used. Man, I have lived in Columbus for 13 years. They have never stopped working on 71 North. <laughs> and I promise you, the minute that that's done, they're going to start repaving it from down here at Stringtown Road. Nothing has lasted like a Roman road. Roman roads crossed the empires, and for the very first time in history, it allowed something that the world had never seen. You see, before this, before the Roman roads networked and crossed all over the empire from India to England, only the very richest or the very bravest people ever encountered cultures that were outside of their own culture. But now, for the very first time in history, people from India are mixing and mingling with people who grew up in Italy. It's wild, right? For most people born, you were born, you only ever saw people that looked like you, that ate the same food that you ate, that married the same type of people that you married, that spoke the same language, that believed the same belief, that had a shared history, that had the same religions. You were born, you lived, and you died all within a small several mile radius, unless you were wealthy or really, really brave. And then you might get some sort of cultures that were right next to your cultures. But now for the first time ever inside the Roman empire, there are these networks and inside Roman cities for the very first time, your neighbor might have a different language than you, a different religion than you eat different foods than you pray differently than you. And some of these issues that are caused by that, Paul is going to be addressing in the Colossians letter. The second thing that I want you to see is this thing called Roman peace. Now, if you were not a Roman, Roman peace was not really a thing because Rome was brutal. They crushed all opposition. And when I say crushed, I mean annihilated. There was no room for rebellion within Rome. But if you were inside the Roman Empire, what this iron rule in this massive army and this strong, consistent army presence has done is it's created this unprecedented level of peace. Prior to Rome, of course, cultures had mixed and mingled. You see, you can see that even uh, with, with Israel and Babylon. Here's what happened. Babylon invaded Israel. And then just smashed all Israeli culture and said, now you're Babylonian. Right? But for the first time inside the Roman Empire, people weren't attacking one another in the way that they had in the past. There were very few uprisings. There were some, but few. And so you and your neighbor from a different culture, you're not trying to kill each other. You're learning from each other. You're friends. And so you're watching as your neighbor prays. You're testing out the foods that he eats. You're adding a little bit of this and a little bit of that, the things that 
you like out of his culture to your culture. And unfortunately, what Paul is seeing and what he's going to be addressing is that they're also saying, hey, I sort of like how that guy prays. I'm going to follow Jesus, but I think I'm also going to pray to this, to this God. You see, my neighbor, he's a great husband. He's a smart guy. He's successful in business. So I'm going to add a little bit of that to what it looks like to follow Jesus. We call it syncretism. And the last thing, and we won't talk about this for long, is just Roman law. Roman law is still, by the way, affecting our own laws. Our own laws and system of laws are based in part on these Roman laws. It created this unprecedented, powerful, open empire where people felt like they had justice. They were heard. There were judges. There were laws that applied to the rich and to the poor. And so for the first time, we have this society in which it's possible for men and women from all different backgrounds and all different cultures to mix and mingle. And this city of Colossae is a Roman city. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. So Colossians chapter 1, we start right at the beginning in verse 1. And we're going to deal with verses 1 through 5 today. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The first thing that I want you to see here is Paul in verse 1 says that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and he is writing with Timothy, his brother. Paul often used a secretary when he was writing his epistles. So Timothy is with him. He's writing this letter to the church at Colossae. And Timothy is a brother in the faith. He's a friend. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is really simple, and it's kind of an aside, but man, ministry is good when we do it with friends, isn't it? There's nothing better than ministry with a friend. And so Paul is with his friend serving Jesus. It's one of the things that I love most about being able to pastor here. It's that you guys are my friends. I love serving with you. You make me laugh. You encourage me. You pray for me. Some of you make fun of me. That's great. Don't, just don't make fun of my, my hair. That's all I'm asking, all right? That's a sore subject, so. I love doing ministry alongside of my friends. There's nothing better than that. And here's the cool thing. I want to I wanna just paint a picture for you. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, right? Statistically speaking, there is no greater opportunity to invite someone to church than Easter Sunday. Odds are, out of every Sunday throughout the year, that's the Sunday that they will be most inclined to say yes to a personal invitation from a friend. And so you may invite your friend this week, that friend that you've been praying for all week long, and they'll come. And they're going to come on Easter Sunday, and I promise you they're going to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be preached boldly and unapologetically, Christ risen from the dead for our sins. And there's a chance that if the Holy Spirit is at work, 
that that person next week, your friend that you've invited and prayed for, they're going to raise their hand and accept Jesus Christ. They're going to be brought from death to life and born again next week. They're going to come to know God for the very first time. And then all throughout this year, they're going to begin to grow in community alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ, discovering the true reason why God created them for a relationship with him and to make a difference in this world. And there is no reason why that person that you're inviting next week to Easter Sunday can't be serving alongside you next Easter as your friend. And there's nothing sweeter than that. The Apostle Paul saw Timothy and he helped raise him up. He helped to disciple him. He taught him what it looked like to serve and lead. And now he gets to do ministry alongside his brother. And man, that's pretty cool. Here's what we see in verses two through four. I want to rehash verses two through four again, because here's what Paul says. He calls the Colossian church, even though he's never met them, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, Paul has actually never met the people in this church. He says that they are saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Paul says in verse 3 that we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Point number one, if you're taking notes today in our Jesus Is series, I want you to write this down. Jesus is our source. We're going to have to leave this up there. It's a long one. Jesus is our source. His love in me means that I love other believers. Jesus is our source. His love in me means that I love other believers. And so I want to put this another way. You cannot claim to love Jesus Christ and reject his church. You can't claim to love Jesus Christ and yet reject his church. It's like saying, you know what? I love my wife, but I absolutely hate her family. Don't say that if you're married. And I realize that, you know, there, there may be exceptions or reasons why someone would really dislike a family. But the truth is that in a situation like mine, my wife loves her family and her family loves my wife and I love my wife. And so I love her family. And for us as followers of Jesus Christ, if we love Christ, if Christ is source of love in us and Christ loves the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you guys as the church and you love Jesus Christ, then I ought to love you as well. I cannot claim that I love Christ and yet reject the church. There is this, there's this strain of I call, it, I call it Christian because I think it's Christian, but I have some confusion about it. It's a group of people that say, I love Jesus, but I don't need a church to love Jesus. Now, I know you've heard that, haven't you? I love Jesus, but I don't need a church. Now, I think at its core, it, it does what so often these deceptive things do. It takes a truth and it sort of twists it. The truth being that I can't, I don't need a church in order to love Jesus. 
Like the church is not the only gate through which I can find Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus on my own two feet. I stand before God someday. But what it's done is it's twisted that thing and it's made it something different. And it says that I I am able to love Jesus while rejecting his church. But here's the problem. We talked about what a church is in January, didn't we? I'm going to put this definition up there again for you right now. What is a local church? It's a gathering of those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, to celebrate the ordinances, and to obey the words of Christ in Scripture. It's a gathering of people. I know that people think of a church as a building or as an organization, but the truth is a church is people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we cannot reject the church without ultimately just rejecting God's people. You can't. There's a couple of, just a, just a couple of passages that talk about this, right? 1 John 2, 9 Whoever says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is still in the darkness. 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 1 John 4, 20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John 13 Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. First Peter 4, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. Do you guys sense a theme there? When Jesus is our source, he is the source of love in us. That love necessarily must be poured out on the ones that he also loves, his children, us. And so it's impossible for you to be a healthy Christian who has rejected the church. You need to be a part of a local body of believers. I'm going to date myself a little bit with this reference, but we can't be that knight from Monty Python that's getting his arms and legs chopped off and saying, I'm good. It's a flesh wound. I'm healthy. If you're a Christian that's not connected to a church that has rejected a church, you're not healthy in the way that God designed for you to be healthy. Listen, I want to acknowledge the fact that churches do hurt people, okay? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are men and women in here who have been hurt and hurt deeply and hurt badly by church and by the people within church. But the truth is, what Scripture tells us is that in 1 Peter 4, is that love covers over a multitude of sins. That we need to be patient and long-suffering with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be kind. We need to be forgiving. We need to be gentle. And the love 
that Jesus provides as our source is something that, that we can give to others. Now, I do think there is a time where it's healthy to leave a church. I do. If a church stops preaching the full gospel, get out. You don't need to be there. If a church is doing something that's contrary to scripture over and over and over again, and you, have, and you are convicted about this thing, maybe it's time to leave. But you need to talk to the leadership. You need to pray for your pastors and your elders. You need to talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ for one simple reason. It's your church. Fight for it. Make it healthy. Make it good. And the truth is when that church has hurt you and when you've finally been shipwrecked and you feel like you're floating out in the sea, you need to hop on the next boat and you need to Connect to the source, which is Jesus Christ, and you need to begin to invest in new relationships because we cannot be healthy Christians without a church. And listen, I know that some of you are here leaving unhealthy situations. This is your church. We won't be perfect, but trust me, we are following after Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to see is is found here in verse 5. It's really simple, and I know that we're wrapping up here right now. But the Apostle Paul, we'll go back to verse 4. 1, 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. The second point for today is that Jesus is our hope, and it's a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. We have this weird life as Christians, don't we? Where we have this one foot in the here and now. God has given us a mission. We, we live and walk and move within this earth. And, but we've also got this one foot in eternity, a hope in heaven. And we're living for that as well. And so that's why scripture says we're not really one or the other. We're aliens. We're sojourners in the world. We become something different. We've got one foot here and one foot in heaven and we're something different. It reminds me of this joke. There was, there was a restaurant that was built. And you'll have to forgive me. My, I'm a bit of an eighth grader still, all right? There's a, a restaurant that was built right on the border between France and Germany. So that literally the border ran right through the middle of the bathroom of this restaurant. And so you would walk in through the French door into the bathroom. And then you would walk out the German door in the bathroom, out of the bathroom. And so one day a a guest being funny talked to the owner and he said, well, sir, if you, if you're German when you walk into the bathroom and you're French when you walk out of the bathroom, what are you when you're in the bathroom? And the owner thought for a minute, and he said, European. (laughs) You're not really one thing, and you're not the other. You're something different. Listen, as Christians, we have this role where we have to live one foot here in this life and one foot in eternity, and it causes us to live differently. Man, I I wish I had more time today, but I I just want to tell you, Something. It's going to be a little bit of a downer, but you're going to die. You are. You're going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> today, I'm, and I'm not kidding, today I am 
April 2nd, 2023, I'm closer to death than I've ever been in my life. And you are too. We all like to think that we get to be uh, the people that live to 85 or 90 and die peacefully in our sleep, but each and every year, death hits close to home in unexpected ways. And you might eat well and work out. You might get in like an infrared sauna and take ice baths. You might rub bee pollen on yourself and, uh, you know, eat your baby's placentas. And you might become a vegan or a carnivore. Whatever it is that you do, you're still going to die. I will do your funeral or you'll attend my funeral. That's reality. And so the question is important, and it's one we all have to answer. Where is it that we're placing our hope? For the follower of Jesus Christ, I have a hope that's laid up for me in heaven that is beyond decay, that is beyond rust, that cannot be corrupted by this world that no one can steal or take away. It's a hope that has been bought for me by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where is your hope? Most people that I talk to will say, well, my hope is that when I stand before God, if I stand before God, I'm a good person, not a bad person. But if you think about it, even for a second, the question is obvious, good compared to who? I might've lied to my wife, but at least I didn't cheat on her. Yeah, I fibbed on my taxes. It's not like I robbed a bank. Or my favorite, well, I'm, not, I'm no Hitler. Is the bar really that low? Of course not. Listen, the bar is incredibly high. Scripture says in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one that is righteous. Not a single person is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And so we are without hope, except for one thing, the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who came, he lived a perfect life. He stood in my place. He willingly took my sins upon himself on a cross, and he did the very same thing for you. I want to close with this passage. It's in 1 Peter again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It's on the screen behind us here. I want you to listen to these words, and I want you to ask yourself the question, where is your hope? Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, that is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Where is it that you place your hope? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I want you to reflect on that question. Where am I placing my hope? If you have 
never made the decision to place your hope in Jesus Christ, I wanna invite you to do that this morning. Scripture says that all who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We have to recognize that we are sinful and in need of a savior, that the best things that we do will never be good enough to stand before a holy God, a God who says that the wages, the punishment for sin is death and eternal death in hell, separated from him, the one who created you and loves you. But the good news is though we were without hope, Christ came to provide you and me with hope. So that right there where you sit in the quiet of this moment, you can call out to God and just confess, God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place and took the punishment that I deserve for my sin. Please forgive me for my sin. I'm calling out to you for salvation. Scripture says that if you mean that with your whole heart, if you are turning from your sin and repentance and you are relying on Jesus Christ to, for your hope and for your salvation, that you are born again. Not born of flesh and blood, but of spirit. That God has forgiven you and made you brand new. That the Holy Spirit will come and live in your life and change everything about you. If you are tired of trying to fix yourself, my friends, lay, lay your burdens down at the foot of Jesus. God, I can't do it anymore. I can't be better. Of course you can't be better. We never could. We need Jesus to save us, to change us, to give us a new hope. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you cried out to God for the first time, the good news is that he who came and died for you, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you for your sin. And we wanna help you as a church. I wanna help you to grow in your sin, your, your new salvation. And so I wanna encourage you before you leave today, to stop out at the Connect Center. I've got a Bible for you, a, a book about how you can begin to grow in your faith. If you're feeling really nervous about it, fill out a Connect card. Go to decision.church online. Just, just let me know that you made this decision. I'll shoot you a text this week and we can talk. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that you provide to us. We thank you that you have purchased our sins with your blood, something we could never do. Jesus, you are the source of our love. Help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, not to reject it, but to embrace it, to fight for it. Lord, to serve one another in love. Jesus, you are our hope, a hope laid up for us in heaven. Help us to live with one foot in this life and one foot in that hope. And Lord, I pray, that this would be a week that many would find hope in Jesus Christ for the very first time. We love you and we thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.